A whistleblower says DHS officials pressured him to alter intelligence reports to make the president happy. Hollywood legend Dame Diana Rigg has passed away at age 82. And with most of the Western U.S. on fire, we talk with ProPublica reporter Liz Weil about why it did not have to be like this. The date, September 10th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Before we dive in, Casey, apparently the NFL returns tonight. Yay! Yay! Sure, I know that I'm our sports reporter. I do not think I have ever watched (laughs) one football game from beginning to end. Really? Definitely not. Not a single game. Definitely not. (laughs) Well, tonight, uh, apparently it's the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans. And unlike the other sports that have come back, they're going to have a live audience there. There's going to be 17,000 people at Arrowhead Stadium, which normally fits 70,000. I know. Hayes, that's more than 10 people. You can't have more than 10 people. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Those are the rules. I know. <laughs> but we're doing this, apparently. And I, I just got to say, can you imagine? I know you don't watch football, but can you imagine how heartbreaking it would be to get coronavirus because you went to a Thursday night game? <laughs> that's the worst of the games. Based on your tone, that's bad. <laughs> Correct. I'm glad you were able to read the room like that. Okay, time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. A whistleblower says that the Department of Homeland Security wanted him to alter intelligence reports so they would better match President Trump's political beliefs and statements. Brian Murphy was Principal Deputy Undersecretary in the Department's Office of Intelligence and Analysis. And according to a report from the House Intelligence Committee yesterday, he says that former Secretary Kirsten Nielsen asked him to cook up some analysis that supported the idea that a border wall was needed to prevent terrorists from coming to the U.S. Despite the fact that he said no and told her that that was not the case, he says Nielsen went ahead and told Congress in 2018 that thousands of terrorists were stopped at the border instead of the real number, no more than three. The complaint also says acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf told him to stop producing intelligence reports on Russian attempts to influence the 2020 election because it, quote, made the president look bad. Instead, Wolf told him to start reporting on interference activities by China and Iran. Murphy claimed that Wolf told him that those orders came from the White House. He also says that Ken Cuccinelli, a senior official performing the duties of Deputy DHS Secretary, told him to modify intelligence threat assessments about white supremacists to appear less severe and include information on the prominence of violent left-wing groups. House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff has ordered Murphy to testify before Congress later this month. And uh, speaking of Congress, even as they cannot seem to agree on a new coronavirus stimulus bill, new unemployment filings are still intensely high. According to the new numbers out today, 857,000 people newly applied for unemployment insurance last week. While that's down from the record of 3 million new claims set back in March, for comparison, that is still more than the 800,000 new claims filed at the peak of the 2008 financial crisis. In all, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that 29.6 million people are depending on unemployment benefits right now. But those checks have been much smaller since extended federal benefits expired back in August. A makeshift effort from the White House to raid FEMA disaster money to help cover some of that gap will run out this week. Senate Republicans have a new bill that they're hoping to pass that has even less money in it than their last attempt. The bill, which the Senate will vote on today, includes money for $300 per week in federal unemployment benefits, half as much as they were before. 
Democrats won't offer their support given that the bill finds money to send kids to private schools but doesn't include cash to help out cities and states. The failure of this bill means it may be after the November election when Congress finally acts. Hey, Hayes, you know what people can't survive on per week? $300. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's $300 in in addition to whatever their state provides, but that money makes a huge difference to a lot of people. It does, because a lot of times when they're going off of it, the rents are not the same all over the place. It's just not going to be the same in California that it is in the middle of the country. Absolutely true. I mean, and the fact that there's not going to be the $1,200 stimulus checks for Americans in the GOP bill, I mean, it's not going to pass, period. It's just not going to. The House won't agree to it and it won't even get out of the Senate. But the fact that they're even cutting that out, I don't know what they're thinking. No one does. They probably don't know either. Uh, Okay, Casey, you're up. Hit us with some pop culture knowledge. Well, first, some sad news. Actor and legend Dame Diana Rigg passed away today at age 82. Rigg got her big break playing Emma Peel in The Avengers, the British spy TV show in the 60s, not the Marvel movie. Most younger fans probably know her as Lady Olena Tyrell, the Queen of Thorns on Game of Thrones. Tell Sassy. I wanted to know it was me. Riggs' daughter said in a statement that she'd been diagnosed with cancer in March and she, quote, spent her last months joyfully reflecting on her extraordinary life full of love, laughter, and a deep pride in her profession. Her agent told BuzzFeed News that she died peacefully in her home. As the tributes and memories began pouring in, this story from writer Mark Harris seems fitting. He tweeted, quote, Two years ago, I sat next to Diana Rigg at a Tony's party. She was in My Fair Lady at 80. She told me it was a great role because she could get tons of reading done between scenes. Then she gave me her phone and said, find Uber on this and get me the hell out of here. R.I.P. to a great. R.I.P. to a great indeed. I That story, I a lot of characters on TV, you just like kind of hope that they're a lot like the, yes. the, the them in real life. And that just feels right to me. That feels right to me that Diana Rigg would do that. It does feel right. And and even though, you know, like uh, Lady Tyrell, you know, could have, some could see her as slightly murderous. In, yeah. in, yeah. <laughs> um, I still like, I look at her and I, I remember thinking like, oh, I bet this is what she's like in real life too. Not the murder part, but just the the greatness about her, you know? The regality and the cutting nature, like to cross her is just doom. Because much like Michael Caine, she had the amount of like on-screen presence to stand up against Mm. the Muppets. She was in the great (laughs) Muppet caper back in the 80s. And you know what? She was amazing. Okay, on the other end of the spectrum, Niecy Nash gave details about her surprise wedding to Jessica Betts, something that we missed out on when we were on our break last week, but that my gay group chat definitely did not miss out on. (laughs) So on August 31st, Nash shared a picture with her in a wedding dress and waving a bouquet next to Jessica in a white suit with the caption, Mrs. Carol Denise Betts wedding ring emoji. And the internet and I were both absolutely delighted by this very surprise gay love. Now she's given some of the details on her relationship to People Magazine. Nash told them that her and Jessica have been friends for years, but she'd never really seen her as someone she would date. But she said, quote, I loved her before I was in love with her because she's such a special human being. But we began to see each other in a way we never had before. 
On whether this counted as her official coming out, Nisi said it's more about not limiting herself as far as what the love is supposed to look like. She told people her marriage, quote, has absolutely nothing to do with gender and it has everything to do with her soul. She's the most beautiful soul I have ever met in my life. I believe in love. Thank you, Nishi Nash. (laughs) (laughs) It was such a great surprise. And, you know, um, I love that her, you know, coming out was just posting her wedding photos because right? honestly, that's the world I dream of in, in, in years from now where, you know, there's no coming out because it doesn't fucking matter. Right. Just like, Oh, by the way, I got married. Oh yeah. To who? Oh, to Jessica. Oh, good for you. Congrats. Good what you. kind of food did you serve? Chicken? <laughs> <laughs> Casey, I nearly splurted out. That's racist. So <laughs> Why? they're black. <laughs> Oh, chicken is a basic wedding food. Although I personally I think I personally think no one should be serving it because more often than not, chicken at a wedding is dry. Wow. How dare you suggest that this black couple's chicken was oh, dry at the wedding? God. How am I digging myself <laughs> deeper into this? I'm sorry to ruin this for you, Case. I've been excited for you to talk about it since it happened. I really I really have been just like ready for you. I so I texted you on our break. Like, I'm so sorry. You can't talk about this right away. <laughs> I know. My group chat really was so excited. I mean, and oh my, can we also just talk about Nisi Nash? Look at those photos if you haven't. She looks freaking gorgeous in her wedding dress. Always. She always does, though. She Bless does, her. but I was like, she was just radiating. Oh my God. After the break, we're going in deep on the fires that are currently burning across the Western U.S. Be right back. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. I'm Colleen Witt. Join me, the host of Eating While Broke podcast, while I eat a meal created by self-made entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities over a meal they once ate when they were broke. Today, I have the lovely AJ Crimson, the official princess of Compton, Asia. Kidding, and Asia. This is The Professor. We're here on Eating While Broke, and today I'm going to break down my meal that got me through a time when I was broke. Listen to Eating While Broke on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For my small bookstore to thrive, I can't just sell books. So I created a radio ad at iHeartAdBuilder.com to tell everyone about our author events, our story hours for kids, and our amazing lattes. Now we're busier than ever. I'd call that a success story. A custom radio ad from iHeartAdBuilder is the fast, affordable way to drive customers to your business. Put the power of radio to work for you. Get started now at iHeartAdBuilder.com. We're joined today by Elizabeth Weil. She's a reporter with ProPublica covering climate change and California. Thanks so much for being here, Liz. Thank you for inviting me. 
So you're out in San Francisco right now. I'm in LA. For our listeners further east, can you describe for them just what it's like right now? Yes. Um, Today is slightly better than yesterday, though I was terrified to open my blinds this morning. I have to say, yesterday was maybe the most disturbing day of my life from an environmental point of view. Uh, People in the Bay Area woke up and it was orange. It was Blade Runner orange. It got darker from early morning through mid-afternoon. The dogs were freaked out. The kids were freaked out. It was bad. Today, it's just gray. Oh, good. (laughs) So late last month, you wrote a story with the headline, They Know How to Prevent Megafires, Why Won't Anybody Listen? In your piece, you argue right away that it didn't need to be this bad in California and that the state made choices that led us here. What were some of those choices? The state did not pursue prescribed and managed burns to the extent that it should have, and it made it difficult, even when those burns were planned, to carry them out. Uh, And the science around this has been clear for decades. I talked to, you know, a dozen plus forest managers, fire ecologists. They have all known this for years and seen what we see now coming. Uh, So California's Cal Fire has some of the best firefighters in the world, but you argue that some of that is just for show. What should they be doing differently? Well, Cal Fire is a fire suppression agency. So I should be clear that Cal Fire is following their orders. They just suppress fire. So partly what Cal Fire should be doing is following policy that allows them to let healthy wildfires that are not going to harm people that are not going to harm houses. Cal Fire should be letting those fires burn. Uh, Cal Fire should also perhaps be uh, more thoughtful and science-driven when it chooses to call in aircraft to dump fire retardant. Um, It makes a great show. It makes people feel good. It looks like heroes conducting a military campaign, but it is not always super effective and it is always very costly. If we were to start setting more controlled fires in California, how much do scientists think we need to burn to reset back to the baseline? Well, it's a little terrifying. We maybe need to burn 20 million acres. Ooh. Oh. Uh, which nature is helping us with right now. It is a whole lot of fire. We have been suppressing fire in California for well over 100 years. We are deep, deep in the hole. We took what was a state that had very healthy forests thanks to the indigenous population that was living here and had a very sophisticated, healthy relationship to fire, you know, The anglers came in and took that all away and started suppressing fire and have left us in this incredibly vulnerable place right now. Yeah, seriously. Uh, So that piece that we were talking about was published almost two weeks ago now. What's it been like watching how much this all has escalated since then? You know, it's been really painful. And I stayed in touch with some of the firefighters and scientists that I interviewed back two weeks ago before everything was so bad and they were already incredibly upset (laughs) at knowing what they know 
and seeing the state burn. And at this point, I think that community is in a state of shock. One of the folks I interviewed just wrote a, a piece called Black Tuesday. Tuesday was this unbelievable moment in California history with regard to fire that fire exploded here in a way that people had modeled and thought was possible, but nobody expected to see. On Monday, you wrote another piece basically saying that this is it. The climate emergency is here. I mean, it feels pretty obvious. I woke up to the smell of smoke coming through my windows and doors, and I'm pretty far away from the fires. But connect the dots for our listeners. How did climate change make these fires so intense? Well, California had just seen its hottest August ever. It had seen the hottest temperatures ever reliably recorded also in August. Uh, So climate change made that ecosystem incredibly dry and incredibly vulnerable to, to wildfires. And this past weekend in San Francisco, at least, I'm not the only one who felt this, felt like a major turning point. It was so hot here in a way that it is never hot. It was so smoky here. It just felt like We were not waiting for some terrible future. That future had kind of arrived, and that was before the skies turned orange. So we're talking a lot about California, but it's not just California where this is happening. Parts of Eastern Oregon especially are seeing fires that they've never had to face before. Do you know how much of that is also about policy, or are the fires just that much more intense this year? You know, the fires are incredibly intense this year. I'm not a pro on Oregon fire policy, so I feel like I can't really speak to that. But the fires in Oregon are so much worse than even the fires that seemed like the worst fires ever in California days before. Those fires are growing so quickly. The amount of energy that they're releasing is so incredible. I don't know if you've seen these videos, but there are these like compressed videos from space showing sort of smoke just bubbling out of the entire West Coast. Uh, And it's really devastating. I just got chills. Uh, uh, Like we said, it isn't even the normal peak of fire season yet. Is it just going to be like this for the rest of the year? You know, I don't know, maybe like it's it is the beginning of fire season. We are not even in to the traditional sort of easternly Santa Ana winds, all that, you know, legendary fire stuff. It's just starting now. Well, Liz, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. We have time for one more thing. And Casey, time is a flat circle and Facebook just proved it. Oh no, what what did they do now? So today in this, the ninth month of the year of our Lord 2020, Facebook announced that they're launching Facebook Campus, which they describe as a college-only space designed to help students connect with fellow classmates over shared interests. What? No. Are they, what, are they going to remake the social network too? Yeah. What year is this? What year <laughs> is it? I just can't believe that after all of the mess they have put the world through, Facebook decided, hmm, what if we go back to having a space just for college kids? It's, according to their blog post, going to be a separate section of the site uh, and really just copying the early Facebook 
experience, right down to needing a college email address and only being able to interact with people from your own school. The biggest difference is that they're introducing you to schools outside the Ivy League. In fact, Brown and UPenn are the only Ivies to have initial access. Yeah, this is this just sounds like a high school and college for me. Right. When did you join Uh, Facebook? I I think I joined at the end of high school, but I definitely know that it was like a big part of right before I went it it went to college because um, you could people were trying to find their roommates that Mm, way. Right, right, right. So you try and find your roommates. That's actually where I, I met my uh, first college boyfriend. Ooh. We joined the same soccer, like intramural soccer team, and we met via Facebook. Oh, wow. <laughs> so was it still the Facebook when you joined? Oh, my God. I don't even know. I have <laughs> oh, no man. clue. Because it was what I did back in like 2005. I joined like I was so waiting for my college email address to show up like the summer before I started so I could join the Facebook. Like all of my <laughs> friends from the year above me who had went off to college and joined up. Uh, so, yeah, it's just the same thing. Facebook, why did we have to go through all of this just to do this again? I know, right? Wait, so is it going to go back to the way it was, like with just posting on each other's walls? I, I wish it was. I mean, I think that the setup that they have is going to be that if you post something on campus, only people on your campus will see it. So I think they'll have like campus-specific news feeds, but I don't think they're bringing back like poke wars. I okay, think. also, is this just the next door app? <laughs> Oh my God, it is. It's next door for Gen Z. Congrats, Facebook. You you did it. Well, that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for an interview with Washington Post reporter Alyssa Rosenberg to talk about making TV shows during a pandemic. And remember, everybody, uh, if the sky is orange outside again, uh, it's the end times. Just sorry. We're all doomed. And he got an up note. (laughs) Be sure... My God. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. MeUndies knows relationships aren't perfect. That's why they're celebrating imperfectly perfect matches with their new Valentine's Day collection. Right now, new customers get 25% off matching pairs. Match your bottom half to your better half in fun, limited-edition prints. Check out all of MeUndies' sustainably soft undies, socks, bralettes, loungewear, and more, available in sizes extra small to 4XL. Get 25% off your first order of matching pairs, plus free shipping, at MeUndies.com VDay25. I'm John Gonzalez, the host of SI's new podcast, Sports Illustrated Weekly. Sports Illustrated has delivered some of the best storytelling in sports for 70 years. And now that continues on our show. Each week, we'll dive deep into the best stories from around the sports world. Sports Illustrated Weekly is available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now. Give us your attention, we need everything you got fast Waiting on reparations, we be the illest podcast Tune in every Thursday, politics and wordplay We fight for the people cause they got us in the worst way From the hill to Brazil, Bombay to Kanye From the left enclave to what the neocons say Every Thursday, cop the heady conversation And break us off with some bread cause we waiting, waiting on, on reparations, reparations. 
Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.